Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Thursday, the 15th of June. You've just heard on the news the death toll will rise. They're slowly working, working, working through this building. I mean, to be honest with you, this thing could collapse at any time. It's a miracle to me that it's still standing. When you look at the pictures in the in the papers this morning, you suddenly realise the full horror of what must have happened uh, down there. The only thing we don't know is how the fire started. You know, what was it? There's lots of conspiracy theories. There's lots of theories of, was it started by this? Was it a faulty piece of equipment? Could it have been one of those washing machines which we've had burst into flames? But would that literally start something like this? Would it spread that quickly? And then somebody saying, oh, when he lived there, there were um, uh, all these uh, sort of pipes running throughout the building, which are there in case the sprinklers come on. If there's a fire, the sprinklers come on. But we were thinking about the same yesterday. I was talking to my friend Lynn. And of course, what you're supposed to not do in the event of a fire is use the lift. How on the 27th floor you're supposed to get out, God alone knows. In a body bag, I think, after yesterday, 12, 12 people lost their lives. I mean, we, we can't imagine, you can't imagine what it must have been like for them to be trapped in somewhere that there was no way out. They, uh, they didn't have any way out. And because they're working their way slowly, slowly through the building, they will find other bodies. By the, by the, by the nature of a tower block, there's got to be other people who are trapped in there. And uh, it's, it's just the most awful thing. And especially because it's on our doorstep. I said before, I think I said yesterday on the programme, that uh, it's because of Manchester, because of uh, Borough Market. It's because it's on our doorstep. It's because... You know these areas. If it happens in another country, we go, oh, right, it's just a news item. You know, somebody opens fire in, in America, you know, at a congressional, I think it was a baseball practice in Virginia. He was then shot dead. And we just go, OK, that's just a news story. When we lose 12 people and the death toll will rise, it's on our doorstep. My, my friend Lynn, she heard it on LBC. She was listening. She happened to wake up and heard us talking about it. She looked out of the window. She could see the smoke. And we're in Twickenham. We had people in Hayes, we had people on the motorway yesterday phoning us. And then the, uh, the Daily Mail, how the hell could it happen? Quite easily. Quite easily. And I have a sneaking feeling that um, the word polystyrene is coming into this one as well. Which is what I told you yesterday. There is a block of flats uh, near me in Twickenham. And their cladding on the outside is polystyrene. When they were putting it up, I thought, shouldn't it be concrete? No polystyrene, obviously done on the cheap. So, in other words, if there was a fire, and, you know, very near me, this this would be a, a classic case because it's all corridors, there is a fire escape. There is a fire escape at the back of the building. But it's the polystyrene at the front. It's the fumes that come off. And that's why, when we were sitting here yesterday at this time, we were watching bits for... Every time something fell off the building, the producer was saying, there's another bit fallen off the building. These are these plastic bits that went over the top. Now we know that... Some of them were polystyrene. Somebody somewhere is, you know, I mean, you, you look at these, I mean, I don't, God knows, honestly. You kind of just wring your hands, don't you? You kind of go, I'm so glad I don't live in a tower block. I'm so glad, you know, I don't live anywhere near it. Because if this block decides to come down and there are uh, fire uh, investigators in the building, I mean, I see yet more tragedy unfolding because, unfolding because it, it, it can happen. These places are death traps and there's loads of them. There's loads of look around London. You know, what, is, what you see as you come in on the M4, you see tower blocks. What do you see if you're coming in on any of the motorways? Tower blocks. 
because that's what we did with, you know, I was I didn't really subscribe to what David Lammy said. This is what we do with poor people. We shove them. In. It doesn't work like that. There's lots of very rich people who live in tower blocks as well. And also, this is quite interesting. I would love to find out because we did discover yesterday that somebody was renting a flat in this block, sixteen hundred quid. It was up for rent, and I remember thinking, what? So somebody's got a flat and they're renting it out, or they bought it some years ago and they're renting it out in the days when you could buy council properties. Big no-no, as far as I'm concerned. Because if you bought a council property, and lots of people did, you suddenly realise you thought you got a really good bargain. Unfortunately, when it came to the maintenance of the building, the people who were there for the council tenants didn't have to worry about it. It came down to you, the people who'd bought it. So the rich people were sort of supporting everybody else. But I don't know anybody who lives in a tower block. I don't know if that's because I don't have any friends like that. Uh, and I've never been in a tower block I don't think I've ever been. I'm trying to cast my mind back. Has I ever been in a tower? I should imagine the views are sensational. But to be honest with you, now we've seen this, I'd be, I'd be on the, the phone to the council going, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be here. This is an old block. When you look at the ravages of this, of this block here, first of all, you look at the front page of the... They've all got roughly the same picture. I mean, every floor, barring a few on the... I think it's about the first and the second. But above that... It was just ablaze. And still, there are flames coming from the building now. I mean, you know, people were sort of... Uh, they said tots were thrown out of the window. They said it was a disaster waiting to happen. But we don't care, do we? We don't care about that. People go, oh, it's a tower block, let's move into it. That haunting picture of that man at the window, the half-blind man, they got him out, thank God. But the fire engines cannot get to the top of that size building. I mean, the firemen must, must have been so frustrated. There's pictures of them sitting down, looking so dejected, because they, they are thwarted. I mean, the, the firefighters were heroic yesterday. I wouldn't want that job. I wouldn't want that job if you paid me. Would you like to go in the building and see if you can find anybody alive? Well, I think, that's, I think we've, already, um, we've already established, I think, that even with the best will in the world and double prayers and that kind of thing, you're not going to find anybody else alive in this building. It's just not going to be happening. What they're going to be doing is finding bodies. But the advice was stay in your flat with the door. If the, unless the fire's in your flat, stay in there. But I mean, curiosity. I was talking to some friends of mine yesterday and uh, one of them, Joe, said to me, she said, if somebody said to me, stay in your flat, I'd be out the door so fast. She said, stay in the flat, what, and burn to death. But that was the advice. Keep the doors shut because that then contains the fire because this spread so, so fast. I mean, one of the uh, firefighters who was there battling the flames yesterday is a guy called Terry. So he was he was just one of those people. You'll probably see his picture in the in the paper today, but he called James O'Brien. To be honest, it was when we turned up, we, we couldn't see the side. There was only one side that was on fire. But within a couple of hours, that whole building was completely engulfed. And it was it was almost like it was almost like the town inferno and 9-11 rolled into one. Oh, the amount of debris flaming debris, because to get into the building we had to run the gauntlet of the debris which the, the police was providing riot shields, so we were running a gauntlet every time we went in the lobby me and my our crew were involved in in rescues on the stairwells, you know, on the way up to certain flats that we were detailed to go to from fire survival guidance yes. and we were just meeting people coming down the stairs in smoke don't know how they was breathing. We were in breathing apparatus, and we were like literally carrying them down the stairs. But to the amount of kit that this this job has absorbed from the London Fire Brigade, it's 
It's unbelievable. It's just it's like a war zone there. How, how how long have you been in the job, Terry? Twenty-seven years. Have you seen anything even remotely like this before? Nothing like it ever. It's unbelievable. A building could go from being a fire in a flat, which we believe was on one of the lower floors, to the whole building, literally 100% of the building on fire. Unbelievable. And, and what you were saying about earlier, this about the, the fire spreading on the outside. Yes. It's, it's called the commander effect. It's to do with the winds whipping up the you know the flames and going for open windows and stuff like that, which is, you know, it was a hot night, wasn't it? Yes, so it was. You can imagine all the windows that are open. I mean, I don't know how far our crews got in there, but I only went as far as the tent floor. And what we see, there definitely will be, that toll is going to rise, what you can see. In I understand. I understand what so, you're saying. We're told they've got as high as the 20th. Yeah. They got as high as the, 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 yeah. they have now got about as high as the 20th. If if you I can, you say that, yeah. if you can, and, and by all means, I mean, I, mean you, I can't say too much, James. Obviously, but I don't want to get myself in trouble. No, I understand was, that completely. No matter what plan you had in to deal with that sort of fire, that plan was going to was going to fall down. That was unbelievable. Nothing, no, no plan you had because there was hose going everywhere. There was one small staircase that everyone was going up. It was it was just like them images of nine eleven. You know, we're going up the staircase, and people were coming down in in smoke, and it was it was unbelievable. It's never seen nothing like it in my life. I, I can't. I mean, obviously, if you're twenty seven years in the job and you are describing it as unprecedented and unbelievable, then then obviously there. there I can't. Yeah, this is not the biggest fire we've had since the Blitz, not including you know, not including terrorism. I can't see how this is not going to be the biggest thing that's happened. It's, it's unbelievable, James. Unbelievable. What do you do now, Terry? How do, how do you, as a firefighter who has seen unspeakable things, clearly, and I understand why, and, and I wouldn't want you to yeah. go into any detail about that, what do you do now? How, I mean, just as a human, well, as, we, a, as a man? Fair, we, 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 did, we, we were all told, we all went to one of the closest stations when we left the job to, to write statements of what we've seen, and then we all offered counselling and stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, mean, I didn't take counselling. I'm, I'm fine, you know, but... Um, yeah, I mean they're dealing with it well. They're, they're, they're trying to nip it in the bud. Any problem? So, but we've well, I mean, I'm I'm at home now. I've, I'm off duty so Good. until tonight. But I imagine it's going to be this is going to be going on a few days. I mean, I can't see it. Must be sucking up all the resources of the London Fire Brigade without going into the reasons why. You know, you yeah, know, all this, the stuff that went on. I don't want to politicise it, but no. we had you know we had a massive job on Sunday, which was take up all the resources. God knows what this is going to do. So what time are you back on shift, just for people who, who I'm aren't... I'm back tonight at 8 o'clock. So you clocked off at 10 so o'clock this morning after night. after dealing with this, and you're back on at 8 o'clock tonight? We're back on at 8 tonight, yeah. We've, 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 we basically haven't had any sleep, because we've been... We had a couple of calls before that, maybe 11 o'clock or something, so... So, we, yeah, we'll be lucky for about an hour, but... I feel like I can, man. So, All right, well, look after yourself. Just got to crack on. Yeah, well, you do, but equally... You, yeah, I just you... want to give you a bit of an idea, James. It was literally the Town Inferno and World Trade Centre, but obviously in a smaller scale. It still sounds a bloody nightmare to me. Terry, a firefighter who was battling the flames at uh, Grenfell Tower last night, talking to James O'Brien. Um, you know, you, you look through the papers this morning, there are pages and pages. And one of them, one of them, explain this to me. A lot of people seem to have pets. One guy said, um, uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, not going to come out because I'm looking after my dogs. And you think, what are you doing with dogs in there anyway? I thought in council property, you weren't, especially in tower blocks, 
you know, if, if you've actually got a dog and you're on, say, the 20th, does it go out for a walk? What do you do? Pop it in the lift and it goes down by itself. What do you do? I mean, I, th- I didn't think that you were allowed pets. But, of course, people are so loyal to their animals that they would, they would happily stand there. I mean, there was, there was one woman, she had a cat in there. I mean, I have, I have heard of, of uh, house cats. I've heard of, of cats that sort of live in flats and things like that. But it's just too dangerous, isn't it? It's too dangerous. This, uh, this group that look after this, it's, this is not, uh, not looking well for them. It's, uh, it's just, you know, people died. If this had just been a fire in a new build or something like that, we wouldn't have thought too much about it. It's because people died. Twelve at the moment, and they say it's going to go higher. Uh, Ryden, they say, completed this refurbishment. I think it was in 2016 they, they did it. What the f- refurbishment was, I've got no... It must have been pretty ropey before, mustn't it? It must have been pretty rough before if they then come and do this refurbishment. You know, you look that all the windows need painting, all the insides and everything else. These corridors look like a nightmare to me. I don't know anything about corridors. I just know that they act as conduits for the flames. It will drag them drag them down there. Recladding, that's what they did for them. But to make it obviously look more attractive and installing communal heating. Installing communal heating. God, this building didn't even have the basics, did it? But down at the... Uh, coming out of Fleet Street... At the top of Fleet Street, there was a huge 1960s building there. And uh, they said a little while ago, they said, oh, this is going to be luxury flats. And I thought, oh. And I watched it because I go and park, um, you know, in London. And so I go past this site. And it's now luxury flats. They've knocked down all the office blocks. And they've literally put up brand new building with underground parking. And it's super duper, you know, luxury flat. They never put up crap flats, do they? Have you ever seen an advert in a newspaper? Would you like to buy a crap flat? No, they're always luxury flats. And with the word luxury comes the premium. Uh, these, I think, I don't know, I might be speaking off the top of my head. I've, um, I'd, I think all these people are people who have been rehomed in this place. You know, David Lammy might be right. I mean, the problem could be that the material used for the recladding, which is a polystyrene-like material, is quite flammable. But surely there must be rules. Must there be, you know, if you're going to put up something which is flammable, we had it years ago with um, polystyrene cushions. I used to have a bean bag at home, and it was lovely for curling up on and going to sleep. It was a big, you know, about four feet by four feet, and you could curl up on it, and what it was was polystyrene beads, until they did a thing on the television going... How long is it going to take for this thing to catch fire? Seconds. Seconds. The material on the outside wasn't fire retardant. And the the beads inside, once they caught fire, which didn't take very long at all, absolutely produced acrid smoke. So they then started bringing in, you know, loads of furniture was thrown out. People going, this isn't, you know, you see a cheap settee. The reason it's cheap is because it's it's built badly. It's built badly. I saw a suite the other day. I thought, oh, I'm quite fancy the idea of changing a suite. It was a leather Chesterfield and I thought it would be about, you know, £2,000, something like that. £36,000 for a leather Chesterfield. And I was thinking, that's why people buy cheap furniture, because it's cheap. It's the only way to actually survive. You know, if you want a three-piece suite, you've seen all the adverts on the television. You know, you're not looking at super, super, super duper quality. You're looking at can just get by. And that's, this appears here. We appear to have sort of not necessarily cut corners, but perhaps it wasn't as good as it should have been. Perhaps, it, you know, they, they, they've had problems before this at this company. And uh, I suppose, I don't know on, on, whose, on whose head is resting on the block. I don't know if it's, is this, is it, um, which is the council there? Rob Kensington and Chelsea. 
I mean, it's got to come down, because they've obviously picked this this contractor for doing it, haven't they? Because nobody expects it. I don't know why we don't expect it, because now we've had this one, as I say. If I was living in a tower block at the moment, and I've been put there by the council, I'd be on there going, I want moving. Or failing that, let's knock down all the tower blocks. This sounds like a horrendous thing to do, doesn't it? But knock them all down and put up different housing. You know, living because I think some of you living in some of these old blocks, and they are around town, you're, you're, you're literally sitting on a ticking time bomb here. Something could happen, but we don't know how this fire started. And I've got all sorts of dreadful conspiracy theories running through my mind, which is what everybody else will be having at the same time. I mean, how, you know, ironic that you write about this and say how bad it is and they don't want to talk to you and they don't do this and that. They seem quite, uh, you know, sort of fired up, but if you pardon the expression, by the whole thing. They're obviously quite, uh, quite vocal. And then blow me down seven months later, this thing bursts into flames. And by God, does it go through that building I mean, you know, these corridors must have literally just acted like tunnels which were dragging the flames down to the next bit. You never think concrete burns, do you? You look at the pictures in the paper today, you'll be going, dear God, nobody could survive that. But people did. People did survive. Sadly, 12 died, and they say it could go higher. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. They're definitely going to have to bring in, aren't they, some new laws, you know, saying if you... Because they only appear to have one staircase in a lot of these blocks of flats. So you, you've got, you know, they just build them, build them, build them, and you've got two lifts, or if you're lucky, you've got more than two lifts. Um, and then you've got a staircase. And the staircase is there, I suppose, if the lift breaks. Although, to be quite honest, you know, in, in the 60s, we didn't, we didn't really pay much attention to, uh, to sort of health and safety. Now, people are obsessed with health and safety. You know, you can't blow your nose on a staircase without somebody going, what are you doing? You go, I just thought I'd blow my nose. Well, don't! Don't. I was having a nice little discussion with one of the team here on whether or not aluminium would melt. And, uh, and I said I thought it probably would in a fire. You look at the intense heat of the, uh, of the flames coming out. And we sat here yesterday morning and we watched it. And when you look at these pictures back today, I mean, it's just it's like molten debris. Molten debris, including probably aluminium, I should imagine. Because aluminium melts at certain temperatures, and then you form it into whatever it is. And uh, so he said he's all right in his new block he's moving into because it's, it's clad with aluminium. And I said, do you not think it's going to melt? The inter- you've got no idea how, how hot these things get. Once you've got flats, which are... Bu- or everything's burning in the flat. It's all flammable. You've got your sideboard. You've got everything. All the kitchen cupboards will be wood. Everything's going to keep burning, isn't it? And that's why when you look at these pictures, you look at the picture inside the Daily Mail, it's inside all the other ones. You just, I mean, it's, it's right up to the top floor. I don't understand how it gets up to the top floor. How is this possible? You know, for a fire to start, you know, on sort of, must have started on ground or second floor, something like that. And it's gone all the way up to the top floor, every single window, barring a few. So how, what does it do? How does it jump floors? Does it do it inside? I've got no idea. Let's see what the Prime Minister had to say about the awful events yesterday morning. Here's Theresa May. Well, I've just received the latest update on the appalling tragedy at Grenfell Tower. Twelve people have been confirmed dead in, in this terrible fire that has taken place. And sadly, the police expect that number to rise further. And my thoughts are with the victims, their families, and all of those who've had their homes destroyed. It's impossible to comprehend the horror of what they've been going through. The response of people living nearby who've provided help, compassion and support has, I think, once again shown the fantastic spirit of London. 
Uh, earlier today, I ordered a cross-government meeting to ensure that every assistance was being given to manage the emergency service response, and that group will meet again tomorrow. And once again, our emergency services, the fire service, ambulance, NHS and police, have shown incredible bravery working in truly appalling conditions. And their work will continue for some time, and I know everybody will want to join me in thanking them for their amazing bravery. Many people will be working round the clock in the NHS to treat those who have been injured and working elsewhere to provide help and support to those who have no home to return to. Of course, once the scene is secure, once uh, the recovery is complete, then an investigation will take place into the cause of the fire and if there are any lessons to be learned. But until then, our focus must be on ensuring that the emergency services have what they need to continue with their harrowing work and that help and support is being provided to all those who have suffered as a result of this tragedy. At the meeting of the Civil Contingency Secretariat, it was agreed that further checks are going to be carried out on similar tower blocks. Um, what would you say to those who say that perhaps this should have happened before, and there are some claims also that the government last year promised to bring in tougher regulations and that's not happened? Well, our focus today is on ensuring that there is every uh, support available to the emergency services in their really difficult work in these terrible conditions, but also in providing help and support to all those who have been victims. And we must remember that there are people tonight who have no home to go for, home to. They have lost absolutely everything. So our focus must be on providing support to them. Of course, as I say, in due course, when the scene is secure, when it's possible to identify the cause of this fire, then of course there will be proper investigation. And if there are any lessons to be learned, they will be and action will be taken. And how are your talks with the DUP going? We are continuing to have talks, and, uh, I, but today, as you will imagine, uh, there has been a real focus on this terrible tragedy that has taken place in London. Uh, we've seen people having their homes completely destroyed. People have lost their lives, and sadly, the police uh, expect the number of those fatalities to go to rise further, and our thoughts must be with all of those affected. Dreadful. The Prime Minister, Theresa May, reacting to the Grenfell Tower fire. Talking to Sky News' John Craig. Yesterday I was saying, you know, the, the thing is, I mean, for all those people who got out, congratulations to all those people uh, who managed to, to save little bits and pieces. But I said the one thing that a lot of people lose there, apart from people losing members of their family, I said, you lose your life. Everything goes. Not your life physically, but everything. All those keepsakes. Everybody's got it, haven't they? I've even got stuff here. You know, you open my uh, my little cupboard and uh, there's all sorts of little keepsakes. At home, you've got all that personal stuff, you know, private photographs, things that, um, you know, family photographs of loved ones, which can't be replaced. All of that you can lose. And that means that, you know, it's not like they can just stick you in another house because you've got nothing. You've got no clothes. You've got no shoes. You've only got the stuff you were standing up in. Some, uh, In some cases, it was the pyjamas. They've had loads of donations. Loads of donations. Kevin the Milkman says, I lived in a, in a tower block in Leytonstone in the 90s, and the views from the 14th floor were spectacular. And having delivered to hundreds of blocks of flats and tower blocks, including the 41-storey tower blocks at the Barbican over the years, he says, I've, uh, I've seen many burnt-out flats, but they've always stayed within the flat. Yes, I've seen that too. It's, you'll see one flat that's on fire. This building just caught, didn't it, like tinder. 
He said that the, the problem yesterday can only be the cladding and the way the fire went up the outside of the block and got into the flats, and that's why the final death toll will be much higher. Yes, it will be. But you're right. It, it, obviously, I suppose if people had a window open, that kind of draws the fire in. So the cladding burns... And it goes up, and then it creeps into the next flat, because this literally was like a snowball effect. Into one, into one flat, into the next flat. Because I've seen, I've seen fires in flats as well, and it's only that particular flat. This was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Terry says, this year, any Queen's Award should go to the true heroes. No celebrities, no career politicians. There have been enough major incidents already this year to more than fill a list of heroes. Firemen, nurses, doctors, ambulance personnel... Uh, enough of this celeb culture while real people are doing real jobs that we rely on. Oh, absolutely. You won't, you won't get an argument from me on that one. It's, 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 the, it's the people who go that extra bit, isn't it? Who's interested in some, some no-mark from a reality show or something being given a, an award? Oh, dear God in heaven, who cares? Who cares? I've often said the world of celebrity is very fickle. The, the real celebrities are the heroes, the firemen, the doctors, the nurses, the ambulance personnel... The funeral directors who have to pick up the pieces at the end. You'll see pictures in the in the papers today. And uh, break your heart. Break your heart. Because there's a lot of families who've lost everything. They've lost members of the family. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and they've lost everything. They've got nothing left at all. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. It's 26 minutes to 5, Thursday the 15th of, of June. And uh, there's still fires burning in the uh, in the the tower block, uh, stories harrowing stories coming in today of people. Throw, one woman throwing a baby out of uh, the ninth floor into a blanket below, which was, I mean, a miracle, a sheer miracle. But just looking at you, I was talking to uh, to one of the team who's moving into a flat in a tower block. Ironically, very shortly, he said, "We well, don't need to worry." He said because the cladding is aluminium. It was aluminium on this building as well. They say it was aluminium and zinc composite cladding. Uh, uh, for the rain screens, so double glazed window, the rain screens. Then there was something called Celotex, 150 millimetres thick insulation, flammable at high temperatures. And that's what happens. There was also concrete of the original tower block, and then there was a ventilated cavity, uh, which went up. So I'm assuming once something caught fire, it then got drawn up like a chimney. That's what I'm getting. So the insulation, they're saying in the paper today, could help the fire to spread. The main window was a tilt and turn with opening restrictions. So it spread from flat to flat by burning the insulation fuelled by winds in the ventilation gaps. So there were ventilation gaps which effectively were destroying the very building they were designed to enhance. And they obviously thought they were doing the right thing, but uh, I mean, seriously not. I mean, the only stairwell that they had in the building was engulfed with smoke because that's, you know, there might have been flames. So, in other words, you can't even see anything. You can't even, there was one woman, she came down from the 20th floor with her children only to discover that two had disappeared. And you start thinking, you know, that's what it is. And that's why firemen go in with breathing apparatus because they're trying to sort of see their way through it. But if you're, you know, engulfed by thick... You know what it's like when you've had a bonfire in your garden or you've had a barbecue and the thing is sort of... It's like that. You can't see anything. And because these these corridors, say, bearing in mind by this time, all the lighting would have gone out. You know, that would be the first thing that goes. The lighting gets burnt out. And, um, and so you're left with nothing. So you're fumbling around in the dark. So I'm not surprised that people were told, stay in your flats. But the trouble is, the sheer panic 
in somebody's voice saying, stay, stay in your flat, there's a fire, there's a fire, and it's spreading because of this cladding and insulation. I mean, surely somebody must have thought about it, mustn't they? They not think about things like that. Where are the, where are the fire experts? You know, when you, when you have somebody coming in to do, uh, you know, the, the cost of renovating a building, I don't know how much that would cost. I wouldn't have the faintest idea. I don't know, million, two million, who knows? Whatever it is, surely there must be people who come and examine your work, aren't there? You know, when you, when you do something like that, is there not somebody standing there? Because when you look at this, this building now and you look at the, you know, the, the cladding meant to protect the 24-storey block, it, uh, it just provided the conduit to take the flyer from, from floor to floor to floor. But surely a fire officer would know that, would they not? Somebody who was putting this on might have said to somebody, might, I don't know, in this hypothetical situation, this is, uh, this is not really going to work. In the event of a fire, this fire is going to creep up the outside of the building and literally nip into people's flats. Because what do you do if you're in a flat? You've got the window open, let a nice breeze through. Unfortunately, it let the fire in. So the flyer's shooting up the outside of the building. Then it gets into a, into a flat, burns everything in the flat, and there's everything in there that is flammable, from the carpets to the furniture to the television. You know, there'll be things popping and banging as windows get blown out. Kitchen would be on fire. The bedroom would be on fire. Everything. And you can't go out because when you open the door to your flat, if you can find the door to your flat because it's going to be pitch black, what are you into? A corridor. A corridor that is pitch black with smoke. You don't know which way to go. Do you go right? Do you go left? Do you take a chance or do you shut the door of the flat and hope it all goes away? I don't think I'd know what to do. I would probably do the do what you're not supposed to do, which I'd, I'd probably have to risk it. Looking at all the, um, the sea of kindness, they call it, and the breathtaking stories of survival. You know, people have donated food and, you know, just about everything. God, we're good. God, we're good. We, do, you know, we we did exactly the same for Manchester. We did the same for Borough Market. People were helping people out. That's what we do. That's what we do. We help people. It kind of might bring us back together again through through sort of tragedy. Might actually emerge some decency in people because you look at all the shoes that have been given and uh, clothing and crisps and meat and bottles of water. And there's a woman carrying away a case of water. It's just the simple things, isn't it? Quarter of a million pounds, half a million pounds, I think now, has been donated. My God, we're good at it. We really are good. You know, we, we, just, we just think, could have been us. Could have been us. Uh, Steve, we donated uh, clothes, says Dan, I no longer need, along with clothes the girls have grown out of and shoes. Uh, Central Moves, next to my work, are organising collections and delivering to drop-off points in town. People can still take bedding and, and nappies uh, down there to them, uh, down to uh, Rugby Road. That's a good idea. See, it, it's just, it's things that you would think, what do we do with that? Throw it out, you know. They, they haven't got anything now. They've got nothing, the people in there. Nothing. Breaks your heart. Uh, wood actually burns slowly. It chars. There's hardly any wood down in this thing. It's aluminium and composites. So that's it. And it's, uh, it was on the outside of the building, but nobody thought that the, the gap in between was the gap that was going to draw the flames upwards. It is like putting a chimney on something in the garden, and you watch the flames being drawn. That's why you have to have your chimney swept every so often. It's so that it draws up. So that it draws up. Uh, Alia Moses did live, until just over 24 hours ago, on the fourth floor of the tower block. She thinks the fire started in a flat a few doors away from hers, number 16. She told LBC's reporter Lucy Huff what happened. A quarter to one. I was kind of getting ready to go to sleep. But then I heard a knock, a frantic knock on my door. 
So I got up to investigate, see what, what it was. And it was the neighbour from number 16 who said that there's a fire. So I've gone back into my house, grabbed my keys, my dressing gown and my slippers, and I've made my way down the stairs, waking my neighbour next door first. Um, as I've got downstairs, within less than 20 minutes, the flame was coming out. 103, the flame was coming out from my next door neighbour, number 16. Within half an hour of that, four floors above were blazing. It took another half an hour and then up to the 23rd floor was gone on the right hand side of the building. So from the fourth floor all the way up to the 23 on fire. The next thing we knew, the, the fire just, I don't know, it just went wild and the whole block was inflamed. Can you tell me what you could smell and hear? Uh, a lot of screaming. A lot of screaming. There, I think I, maybe it's the 18th or the 19th floor. There was somebody in the window with his phone flashing. But at first we thought he was waving. But we're telling him to get out of there. But now knowing that he couldn't because they were trapped inside. So um, I don't know what happened to this gentleman. I don't know if he made it out. But I know there were people trapped on the 22nd floor. All now, I don't know if they've made it or not. Alia Moses, who also told our reporter Lucy Huff that a gas pipe was recently fitted along the stairwell outside her home. Oh, we were frantic. Because how can you have a gas pipe right there, naked, on the landing, you know? And then... Not too long ago, the pipe, I came out of my house and there's pipes outside my, my house. They've erected pipes, out, gas pipes outside my front door. And nobody knocks to say, we're doing this job. Is it okay? Do you mind? Nothing. So what, in your opinion, how safe did you feel the building was before? Oh, well, feeling safe wasn't a priority in that place. I always knew that something major was going to happen. And it did. There was no fire alarm, no sprinklers, nothing. Former Grenfell Tower resident Alia Moses speaking to LBC's reporter Lucy Huff yesterday. And of course, you know, if they decide to take the tower block down, which which ultimately they will have to... Nobody's going to want to go live in it again, are they? Put it that way. Where are they going to house all the people? Where are they going to put all the people who were in there? Because there isn't enough room around there. It's so chock-a-block. You could, the only place you could put these people is in a tower block. I shouldn't imagine any of them want to go back to a tower block. I can't, I can't see why you would. So where are they going to put them? I mean, they had been having, we are told, um, late-night power surges in the building, uh, which was sort of, you know, really bad. In fact, it affected electrical appliances and made a computer monitor explode. That's, that's the danger, isn't it? You live there. I shouldn't imagine anybody knows where the main switchboard is in the building, where it comes in, where anything about that. You don't know these sort of things, do you? And that's, that's what's so worrying about it. But the, the deadly appliances in millions of homes, millions of fire-risk appliances, tumble dryers, washing machines, fridges, any of those could have, uh, could have done it. And as I pointed out yesterday on the programme, and I think I'm right, the, uh, the survivors have no insurance. 
Why would you have any insurance? You weren't expecting it. Although in this particular block, it would have been a very good idea after the residents got together and started writing about just how dangerous it was and how little they were getting from the company that had done all these different pieces of work on there. The one thing they probably should have said is, by the way, make sure your insurance is, is up to date. But of course, the sort of people living in here, why they wouldn't know what to do with insurance. What would it be there for? And the answer is this. Because it's, it's just a dreadful... It cannot happen again. But I suspect there are many blocks like this which are the ticking time bombs. They are the places that we're going to be going, well, we didn't think it would happen again. It's like, you know, we don't think there's going to be another terrorist attack in London. I do. Of course I do. And same way I think and I hope that there won't be another fire as, as bad as this one. I mean, it was, you know, to quote everybody else, the towering inferno. It did everything that that film... Did, and everything was falling off it. And they were saying, but did you cut corners here? Did you do this? Did you do that? That's what people want to know. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. All the uh, headlines in the in the papers today is one here in the Daily Star saying it was a disaster waiting to happen, a massive scandal, and it could have been avoided. Apparently the government was warned that 4,000 tower blocks lacked sprinklers. 4,000 tower blocks. You know, cheap housing, isn't it? That's what it is. It's cheap housing. But uh, it's something that it just dominates all the papers, mainly because it's on our doorstep, literally on our doorstep. It's literally just down the road from here. You look at the front page of The Sun and uh, their headline is dozens dead. Uh, We know 12. We think uh, they'll be finding more bodies. They don't think they're really going to find any survivors because you look at the picture on the outside. I mean, it would be a miracle of all miracles. They were told it was safe. Dozens feared dead. The, uh, it was weeks after a £10 million refurbishment. There you go. £10 million. That's what it cost. God. Residents of uh, Grenfell Tower uh, raised fear of fire risks, but said concerns fell on deaf ears. And uh, they just, a lot of places just don't take any notice, do they now? They don't. So no matter how articulate they were, and they were very articulate, if you've read the, uh, the letter that they, they posted online. I mean, there were 74 people. You can hear it, what? We'll hear from one later, actually. 74 injured, 12 confirmed dead. And uh, and that picture of that man at the window who we talked about a while ago, he was rescued. Took 12 hours, but he was rescued in the end. He managed to get out. And uh, the mothers chucking the kids from windows, hoping that somebody would catch them. And they did. And they did. I mean, people were so, so desperate. Uh, There's one here, a mum, who says, goodbye, we're not going to make it. Forgive us. Nothing to forgive at all. And one man as well. Uh, This is uh, dad of five. Uh, Stephen Powell was feared dead in the disaster after telling his family, I'm staying here with the dogs. I mean, I don't know what people are doing with animals in town, but I said before, I'm sure there must be rules about that. You know, much as though animals are absolutely adorable, uh, you know, I don't think a tower block would be the best place for dogs at all. And he had uh, he had staffies. Uh, also, the hero who got pregnant, uh, uh, hero got pregnant wife and daughter out, then went back for a, a second girl. And uh, turning on the tap saved one particular... This is a a mum called Natasha. She said she saved her family by running a bath and flooding the floors. Well, there you go. There's there's the most intelligent person. Natasha, her boyfriend and daughter, whose six were trapped on the 11th floor, the 39-year-old said, I let the bathroom flood. It kept the flat damp. It may have saved our lives. They did obey notices telling them to stay put. But after 90 minutes, the crews told them over the phone to get out. Because I don't think anybody was was really sure, were they, whether or not the building was going to collapse. When you look at the outside, though, I mean, there's just nothing left. No fire alarms, no sprinklers, panels burnt, stay put advice. And that was it. That was it. 
And uh, it's just, I mean, the, com- the couple whose company helped refurbish it were holed up at a home last night. This is uh, Raymond and Belinda Bailey, were director and secretary of, I think it's called Harley Curtain Wall, responsible for a three million pounds worth of cladding project at the block of flats. The business went bust in 2015, shortly after the work, owing creditors more than a million, bought by another of Mr Bailey's firms, Harley Facades, based in Crowborough. The businessman boasts of more than 25 years' practical experience as a specialist curtain-walling contractor. But at their home the other day, Mrs Bailey denied any knowledge of Harley Curtain's wall or its work at Grenfell Tower. The mum insisted there was nothing to say. There you go. It's what you're dealing with nowadays. I mean, it is a scandal, isn't it? I mean, it's just dreadful. But this is across the UK. This is literally across the UK. There is, you know, there's probably people listening to this programme in tower blocks in Glasgow, in Edinburgh, you know, loads of places. And the answer is it's build it high, flood it with people, and uh, and it's cheap. Now somebody's got blood on their hands because somebody made a mistake. Somebody made a, a big, big mistake. I'd love to know, actually. In fact, I'm as curious as everybody else is, how the fire started. That's what we want to know. Was it? Because they will find out. They will find out, you know, how many... People have got, you know, washing machines that could be likely to burst into flames. But is that enough to set a fire off or is that just a single... Because we had washing machines recalled a short while ago, didn't we? Um, but I'm, I'm slightly worried about this, uh, this, this company where they sort of... They say we haven't got anything to say. And you think, have you not got anything to say? I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting sort of a full-blown apology or anything like that. I'm just sort of expecting somebody to say, listen, it's nothing to do with us. We don't know anything about this at all. But uh, obviously we send our commiserations to these people, as opposed to, we've got nothing to say. That doesn't help anybody, does it? London Fire Commissioner uh, Danny Cotton spoke to the media yesterday afternoon as the firefighters continued to battle the flames. Here's what she said. The fire crews continue to work tirelessly to go into the premises, to extinguish the remaining fire and to search the premises. As you will appreciate, this is a completely unprecedented fire. In my 29 years in the London Fire Brigade, I have never seen a fire of this nature and I have seen many high-rise fires. This will, of course, be subject to a major investigation, but at this moment in time, we do not wish to speculate further about the cause of the fire or the fire spread. That is something that will be closely looked at in the very near future. We continue at the moment to search the premises... So I try and identify any people. As the mayor has said, we have concerns that there may be more people still inside the premises. It has been a very large and very significant fire. I anticipate the London Fire Brigade will be on scene dealing with this fire for at least the next 24 hours. That's at least 24 hours. That's the London Fire Commissioner, Danny Cotton, uh, who was joined by the Met Police Commander, Stuart Cundy. This continues to be an emergency response, primarily led by the London Fire Brigade here, but clearly involving all the emergency services, the local authority and a number of other organisations. Tragically, I can confirm that at least six people have died. From the London Ambulance Service, there are currently 74 people that have been treated at hospital, of which 20 are receiving critical care. In relation to the number of fatalities, this will be a very complex and potentially lengthy recovery operation within the building. 
and I anticipate that those, the number of fatalities will sadly rise. Now, as all of you would imagine, my thoughts, the thoughts of the Metropolitan Police and all the emergency services, and indeed all of the communities in London, are with all of those that have been tragically affected by this shocking fire. That was the uh, Met Police Commander, Stuart Cundy. Uh, the London Mayor, Sadiq Khan, was also down at Grenfell Tower. Also, a tribute to the amazing emergency services from the fire service. We have more than 250 firefighters, many of whom have been here from the beginning, including the commissioner. There will be many more working during the course of the day. Many engines and machinery here and fire service from neighbouring fire services helping us out today. Also, London Ambulance Service, more than 100 paramedics helping out during the course of the night, and more than 100 police officers. And it's worth reminding ourselves that when there are these tragic fires, these emergencies, there are literally emergency services, our firefighters running towards the fire, running towards the danger, whilst encouraging others to run away. We do know that a number of people have uh, died, I'm afraid, and the uh, commander has given you the figures that we have. I'm afraid it's likely that the figures are going to go up. And... Uh... And they did, I think, from that. So we're up to 12 at the moment, but they're still... They're working their way slowly through the block. I mean, it's a slow, slow process. And I think because of the intensity of the fire, I don't think we're expecting to find anybody else uh, still alive. Somebody says, Steve, even building regulation inspectors are now privately owned companies. In the past, it would have been council inspectors who checked the quality of work. There's no real accountability anymore. And uh, somebody else said the British... Fire regulations are 10 years out of date and ignore major developments in construction. That's the problem nowadays. Southwark Council was prosecuted four months ago over a fire where cladding ignited, but only for technical breaches such as missed risk assessments. New builds over 10 storeys must have sprinklers fitted, but fire expert, who is uh, Jim Glocking, says when a significant redevelopment is made, it should be updated to the latest building regulations. So, in other words, anything, anything that's being built now above ten floors should have sprinklers in it. But uh, I bet you anything, you're looking around your block going, sprinklers where? You know, that's the whole idea. In the event of a fire, the sprinklers come in. And uh, But that, that other woman had the best idea, didn't she? She flooded. She obviously thought, well, we're not going to be coming back to this place. So she flooded the bathroom, which flooded the other rooms, which made the fire a little bit slower. It'll still get through, but it just means that, you know, when you look at the, the cladding and the building and the charring of it, I'm not surprised the farmer look absolutely knackered today. And they've all done this, uh, this sort of picture. Mick says, uh, you know it's not going to be good when you're told to write your name on your helmet before you go in. I mean, so he sent us a picture of his, uh, of his helmet. Mick, A33. I mean, it's it's true, isn't it? That's just in case, you know, they lose somebody. They go, who is it? Who is it? It's Mick. We know that because he's written his name on his helmet. It's just, I don't know anybody who ever becomes a firefighter. Really, I don't. I mean, I know that there were 200 firefighters called out. 100 extra were sent overnight. 65 total saved from the, the blaze. Because the firefighters not only have to sort of uh, get the living out, but they've got to deal with the dead as well. And that's the problem. I can't think of anything worse. I was talking to a friend of mine and he said that must be the most awful thing, you know, to have to go and deal with something like that. I said, but people do it. That's what they do, isn't it? It's like nurses. It's like, you know, funeral directors. It's like anybody, really. How they do jobs like that, I've got no idea. But do it, they did the other day. And then you, the great British public, you know, rally round and think to yourself, you know, what can we do? 
what can we do? And the answer is they wanted clothes, they wanted food, they wanted water, they wanted tons of stuff, tons of stuff to try and deal with the people there who were who were outside. After the uh, news at five o'clock, uh, we're going to be crossing live to the scene and find out what the atmosphere is like around Grenfell Tower this morning. And indeed, whether or not, as we've heard, and I've seen some pictures, it looks like there are still some small fires burning. That could be the result of... Uh, of furniture in there. I don't know. We'll we'll find out when we speak to our reporter, Rachel Venables, and that'll be uh, the other side of the five o'clock news. So we'll have uh, first hand on the scene. We'll run through all the papers as well this morning. You know what the front page story is. Nobody's left it out. It's just when you look at it, you realise the full horror and the death trap that this place is. Somebody somewhere is going to get carpeted. Let's hope it's not going to be, you know, swept under the carpet. And they just go, oh, don't worry, it's a bit difficult to pin down. We don't think it was this, we don't think it was that. Once they found out what started the blaze, and they will know what started it. If it was a piece of electrical equipment, they will know. So we'll do that. But we've got the news at five coming up. We take all your uh, texts and emails, 84850steve at lbc.co.uk. I'm only here till six this morning. I'm in uh, short supply because Nick's got an extended... Uh, show again this morning from six until ten and uh, he's going to be reflecting on one of the worst fires that London's seen I think since the Blitz I think since the Blitz and also the former housing minister now chief of staff for Theresa May is under pressure to answer questions over a fire regulation report that was promised but never published it's amazing isn't it there's going to be a lot of names in the frame there's going to be a lot of name calling and a lot of uh, passing the baton on to other people you're listening to a podcast from LBC Morning, everybody. Thursday, the 15th of June at Steve Allen's Early Breakfast. Till six, Nick Ferrari has an extended programme this morning from six until ten. Uh, we got the papers. We take your texts and emails. It's interesting to note that uh, there were a lot of programmes that were cancelled yesterday on television, one of them being Loose Women. I mean, because you really couldn't trust them to, uh, to do anything like this at all. Unfortunately, nobody decided to tell Katie Price, who turned up uh, for the show, then managed to get her makeup and hair done and then walked back out again. With her daughter. So the, the, there was no show yesterday. I, can, I saw yesterday, and I have to ask the question because I, I don't know what, what the answer is. Are the kids on holiday at the moment? I keep seeing parents with, with children wandering around. Are they, are they sort of parents who just take the kids out of school for reasons? But they're not on holiday yet, are they? I didn't think so. No, I thought it was odd. But of course, and there was Katie Price with her daughter yesterday at the Loose Women's Studio. I'm thinking, doesn't she go to school? have to check these things, don't you? Anyway, uh, all of your texts and emails we will take. Uh, somebody says, can't believe a fire could spread that quickly, Steve. Feel heartbroken for the poor people in that, uh, in that tower and the injured as well. Somebody needs to be brought to account. Respect to all the brilliant emergency services, says Jason, my sovereign driver. Uh, yes, I agree with you. I didn't think somebody could spread that, uh, that quickly either, but, I mean, it, it did. On many blocks, you usually have uh, opposite corners with two fire exits. I'm surprised the Grenfell only had only one. Well, because it's an old block. It was put up in the 70s, I think, the early 70s. And, uh, you know, in theory, somebody says here, building control should have checked the finished work. We had work done on our house. Everything had to be checked before it was signed off. Yes, um, it, it appears not to, to operate in certain places. Because what they had was a gap. Now, whether or not this is the cause of it spreading quickly, I've got no idea. It was a gap behind the cladding which I suppose was sort of let air go behind it. Unfortunately, in this particular case, it just dragged the, uh, the flames up and into the next flat. And that's why it spread so fast. It was the cladding that caught fire. You can see in all the pictures, they're blazing inside the flats, but it was the cladding. So I'm sure that somebody will be, uh, will be explaining all to us once they've got in and find 
you know, exactly what started this fire. Is it an electrical fault? Was it a piece of equipment? Was it was it set? Who We don't know. We just really don't know. In amongst the tragedy, the fire, we also heard once again of just how good people are at coming together when we're faced with such awful scenes. Local community centres have become places to drop off donations for those who lost everything. LBC presenter Matt Stadlin lives just down the road in Notting Hill and spent most of yesterday among those doing their bit for others. The local community or communities have really rallied round. I, I, I've never in my life experienced anything quite like it. We know that there's so much good fun that happens every year at the carnival. Well, today, people really did click into action. A number of people have been turning up in cars, been turning up with supermarket trolleys, just overladen with food and clothes to such an extent that when I arrived on the scene early this morning at about 8.30, having been woken by my fiancé with the dreadful news, I went straight round. And already one of the rescue centres, one of the relief centres, had already reached saturation points and were directing contributions and donations elsewhere. So you get a sense. I mean, I'm, I'm right almost, not quite at the foot of the tower because I'm just outside the police cordon, but I can still see smoke coming out of that building until just a few minutes ago, maybe a couple of minutes ago, flames on the very, very top floor. So it's deeply shocking, very, very sad, and it's, it's very rare that the professional crosses with the personal, but this, unfortunately, is very much this, that. LBC presenter Matt Stadlin, who lives quite close to Grenfell Tower. He'll be here on Saturday morning from one with more of those uh, powerful reactions to last night's fire. It's uh, seven minutes past five. So the front pages, I mean, the, uh, the Daily Mirror, the Daily Star, both running with Death Trap. And that's exactly what it was. It was a death trap for the people in there. This fire spread so, so quickly. I mean, I think it was about 15 minutes and it was fully ablaze. That's how fast... That's how fast. We've never had anything like it. They were saying since the Blitz. That's what Nick will be saying a little bit later on this morning. He's here from uh, from six o'clock. Um, how the hell could it happen, says the Daily Mail, and then answer their own questions inside. It was. Uh, it appears to be this cladding on the outside, which was aluminium and zinc, a composite. And uh, and they think some polystyrene as well. I mean, which to me sounds like the uh, the ultimate bad combination. Uh, the picture on the Daily Express this morning: desperate parents throwing children out of windows, dozens feared dead. Nobody survived on the top three floors. Well, they wouldn't. I mean, it spread that fast up the building. It seems to have jumped some flats, and and there are certain bits of it which appear to be, you know. Uh, escaping from it, but only on the lower levels, on the on the upper levels, the heat and the acrid smoke. If you look at the smoke that's pouring out the top of the building and out of all the windows, you can imagine what the corridors must be like inside. It's going to be even worse. That's why they said, you know, stay in the flat. Uh, Kim says, I lived in a tower block when I was younger and there was a fire. Luckily, all was fine. It's a very scary experience. Yes, I mean, I, I think it is actually, but we've had... Um, the, the interesting thing in, in this particular case is that we've had fires before in flats. I've seen flats burnt out before, and, and we, we've seen that. And, but it doesn't affect the other flats. It's an isolated incident. Steve, coming to think of it, that should be the first instruction. Every flat should turn on all the water taps when there's a fire alert. If there's no sprinkler system, it may slow the fire. Perhaps it might help. Well, it certainly did in her case. Certainly did in her case. You know, so that's that's why. And I mean, perhaps that should be the instructions. The uh, construction 
Design Management Regulations 2007 and 2015 are in place to ensure that the designers, Steve, and architects build safely into designs. Whoever was the CDM principal designer holds responsibility for ensuring that material designs are up to standards. That's what it's supposed to be. And it's safe, says Dave. Yes, I would have thought so. I mean, I mean, perhaps they, if you... <laughs> this is talking out the box again. If you put something on the outside of a building to make the building look more attractive, because let's face it, it was a grim building anyway. I mean, does nobody ever check the outside? Obviously not. The only people who'd ever check it are people looking out of their own windows, saying, this, this doesn't look very safe here. I told you, there's a building in Twickenham. They've got polystyrene blocks on the outside. I mean, this to me sounds like, you know, in the event of a fire, this, this building would go up like a tinderbox. All the flats are off one central corridor. At the back, they have uh, they have a fire escape which they can access. But to be honest with you, if this, if, if, if this building went up, it's going to be the polystyrene blocks that are not going to help. But they're covered over. They're covered over with this sort of, not a latex, like a, um, a not stone cladding, what do they call it? Like you're spraying something with like a gunk and it goes over it and then it all looks quite nice. But it's polystyrene underneath, polystyrene blocks glued in. So I watched them doing it. We had half a ton of it floating about all over the blooming place because uh, they just did it. Now, nobody ever checked that. I don't remember seeing anybody checking it. So that's why. Uh, a lot of people talking about the problems of living in tower blocks. I don't know so many of you lived in tower blocks. And, uh, and obviously, as I said before, all the people who are living here uh, are going to want to be rehomed. So even if they knock this tower block down, please God, they're not going to put up another one. But if they do, it'll have to have sprinkler systems in it. I mean, is this block insured? They, they reckon that most of the people, in fact, nearly all the people they've said, inside will not have any insurance at all. So, in other words, you can, you can lose everything and you can't, you can't get anything back at all. I mean, we already have a housing crisis in the capital. We don't have enough... Pro- you can tell we don't have enough property. They're building the blooming things all over the place. You come out of Waterloo Station... And what have you got? Cranes. Cranes everywhere. Look, you know, if I go and stand in Trafalgar Square and look around, cranes. Everywhere, cranes. It's unbelievable. Now they're all looking at the, uh, at the sort of conditions uh, of companies who were involved in putting this sort of cladding on the outside. Because if something's flammable, why would you want to build it into a, into a building unless you were cutting corners? That's what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking, because this was a very expensive refurb. This was £10 million. Ten million pounds. But if you look at the uh, at the flats and you look at the one staircase, I mean, quite clearly, I should imagine most of you listening in tower blocks at the moment, you get those great views, don't you? But there is the risk, you know. Should there not be? We used to we used to be in the um, the ITN building some years ago, which was a modern Norman Foster building, very nice. When we had uh, fire alerts on the odd occasion that we, we thought there was a fire in the main hall of the building, all the flaps come down and all the fans come into play to draw the smoke out if there was going to be a fire. And it was, it was interesting to watch. They're, it's totally automatic. And literally about, you know, a dozen of these bits that you just think are part of the walls fall down. The fans come on to draw anything out. In here, there was nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. The, the corridors were just, you know, you're just like wandering through a fog. But the trouble is, this is acrid smoke. This is coming off burning items, which can be three-piece suites, kitchen, anything. Doors, the whole lot. You only have to look at the pictures on the front page of the paper to realise that you're not going to be refurbing this block anytime soon. It's got to come down. Whether it falls down by itself or whether they actually have to, to bring it down, I've got no idea.
but uh, it'll be something that will be discussed. But I want to know who's responsible for this. I want to know who's responsible for, you know, the, I mean, is this checked by fire safety people? Would firemen have said, you know, if you're allowed to? Um, well, it was the cladding. It was the cladding. Because when you look at the building, it just went up like a tinder. 15 minutes. That's how fast it was. So, in fact, even if you had woken up, you know, I mean, I'm to be honest with you, and it sounds dreadful, I'm surprised it wasn't more than 12 people so far. I mean, I think there will be more people. But, uh, Dick, this thing moved very fast. I mean, thank God people got out there and got other people out before it got so bad. And when it got so bad, that's what they say, above a certain floor, they're not expecting to find anybody now. It will be, a, will be an absolute miracle. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. They're going to have to... Apparently, there's so many blocks of flats now who have had this cladding. This cladding, it's certainly not unique to this block. So, in other words, it'll be on other people's blocks as well. Whether or not they're newer, I don't know. £10 million refurb. I don't know how much these things cost. I'd like to see, you know... I'd like to see the breakdown. Theresa May has said, we will get to the bottom of it. I thought, that's useful, isn't it? As opposed to just sort of brushing it under the carpet. Of course, we want to get to the bottom of it. I want to find out who actually signed off something that could be so inflammable. I mean, you know, who would actually pass something like that? But apparently they're all self-regulatory, these, these places. You just give the contract to somebody. They go and do the job and they go, oh, it looks nice. Without thinking about the implication. But we've got to find out, and we don't find out at the moment, um, exactly what the cause of the fire was. Was it, as you heard earlier on, a gas pipe? Did somebody ignite a gas pipe? Did somebody sort of drop a cigarette on the ground and it started? Because this thing... Took over in 15 minutes. In 15 minutes, this building was ablaze. It was it was working fast. It was like the chimney on your barbecue that draws the flames up. This one, it went all the way through and uh, and then got to the top floor very, very quickly. There was only a few floors it seemed to miss out. And how that happened, an act of God, I suppose. But uh, it's, I mean, you know, somebody says, if I lived in a tower block, I'd invest in a chute. Uh, where if the worst came to the worst, you could jump out a bit like these base jumpers do out of buildings. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a lovely... Well, you could think of all sorts of things, can't you? Perhaps two two um, two sets of staircases might have been useful. You not think so? You know, you've only got... You've got the lifts. They say don't get... You know, I can't think of anything worse than being trapped in a lift. Although they are metal. And I suppose, you know, you'd be reasonably OK in there. But you can imagine the thing just stops, comes to a grinding halt because the power goes out. What do you do then? You know, it's lesser of two evils. I, don't, I really don't know what the answer is. David Collins was the chairman of the Grenfell Residents Association until last October, and he uh, spoke to Darren Adam earlier this morning and explained some of the battles he's had to face. I don't live in the town. I moved out of the tower on mm. 31st of October last year. So I woke up at six in the morning, and I had a message on my phone. As soon as I turned it on, it was a picture of the tower. Someone said, you used to live here, right? Mm. And... The thing that has struck me during the day as I've talked to people is I wasn't surprised. I was shocked and I was upset and I've been upset all day and I, I can't sleep tonight, which is why I'm calling you, right? Because I'm lying in bed thinking about the people I know who didn't get out. So the blog post, which was written by um, the Glenfall Action mm. Group, is probably, probably written by Eddie Edward Daffon. Um, that was, we would say... Is it going to come to that? And we even said that to the people who ran the building. We even said that to the members of the council. Is it going to come to something like this before you'll do something? So, you know, Edward's blog, Grenfell Action Group blog, they read it. You know, the councillors talk to me about what goes on 
and what was written on the blog. So that blog has been talking about fire risk for years. Um, when I moved into the block, I found I only lived there for two and a half years. The problems predate you know, me moving in. When I moved in, I found, you know, I heard after moving in, there'd been a fire short, there'd been a power shortage or, you know, people's electric equipment had blown out. People felt that had never been properly investigated. Um, it only started to occur to me that there were issues when someone tried to break into my property and it took three months to get someone from the tenant management organization to come around and talk to me about it. Um, and then the Grenfell Tower works happened. I'm reading some of the letters that I wrote. I wrote a letter to considerate contractors in the 2015 asking for them to intervene with riding contractors because about 60% of the people in the building were unhappy with the quality of the works that were happen happening. People were 68. We did a survey at the end of 2015, and 68% of people living in the tower felt threatened, harassed, or bullied by the TMO or by the contractors. Um, and we 90, we spoke to 58 people. Uh, we did some door knocking. We got a hold of 58 people, and 90% of them, so nine out of 10, mm. said they would they would like an independent investigation into how things have been carried out. So we presented that on the 6th of January last year to the Housing Scrutiny Committee of the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, and they did nothing. And then I had a meeting in, I think it was the 13th or the 16th of July, with Councillor Fielding Mellon, who chairs that committee, and Laura Johnson, who heads up housing for the Royal Borough. And I even said in that meeting, bad things happen if you don't hold people to account. And when we complained about the TMO and that they were incompetent and doing a terrible job and they weren't listening to all our concerns. And TMO being, just to be clear? The Tenant Management Organisation okay. of, of, the, of the Borough. That's the, Kens the Kensington and Chelsea TMO. That's right. Yeah. And um, they have a monopoly. They have a monopoly. There's no competition per se, really. And I was, we were calling on the council to hold them to account for their ineptitude. I mean, it was just incompetence, really. But it was incompetence, but then it's compounded by no investigation. So they, they, they asked the TMO to investigate itself about the complaints we had. And the TMO came back and said, there's no, there's no problem. So we did nothing. And, um, I mean, we can go on, right? This is just the beginning. Um, so the problems were known. The mm. worst case scenario was something like this would happen. And the people in power were told there was a problem. And they chose, in your view, to, to, to either ignore that or, or, or dismiss it or, or simply disbelieve it? I want there to be an investigation and I want to be part of the investigation because I've got emails where I'm chasing people three months later about a safety issue, a fire risk issue, and they haven't responded to me. Um, I bumped into Rockfield in Mellon, 400 yards from Grenfell Tower, about a month or two after I had that, that meeting in July. And I said to him, I, I bumped into the street, I said, Rock, are you going to do anything as a result of our meeting? And he said, no. And at that meeting, did the fears that you expressed, the fears that you raised, David, were they on the scale of what happened last night? Did, did you imagine that something as as tragic and as, as, as all-encompassing in terms of that building could seriously have taken place? No, of course not. When I was speaking to them, we were dealing with the tip of the iceberg. So I work in the area of cultural and leadership development, particularly around safety and organisations in the construction industry a lot, mm. oil and gas as well. 
and there's a thing called the iceberg, and there's the tip of the iceberg. So as residents, we picked 12 issues that we could see, um, location of boilers in the hallway mm-hmm. by, by the fire, by your only exit from your house at a height where your children would hit their heads on it. And so we picked the things we could see, right? And we yeah. attempted to talk to the TMO and get them to act and change things. And they didn't. Or they did if we forced them. We got the MP. There's a whole story behind this. But the tip of the iceberg is we didn't get we didn't get down to the to the the, the, the mass of the iceberg is under the water. We were mm. only trying to talk about the things we could see, and they didn't respond adequately on those. So we didn't get to all the other issues. So when I was talking with them, we were just trying to get them to listen to us, and they wouldn't. So it wasn't like. I said to them, the building's going to burn down. So I'm pretty sure at the end of the meeting in January when we, when they, with the Housing Scrutiny Committee, when they basically just turned down what we were, they said they, they did say they were going to, they, they actually said that they were going to um, launch a, a committee or a group to look into it, but they never actually did that. Um, I think at the end of that meeting, Eddie probably said something like, "You know, are you waiting for a tragedy to happen?" You know, that was like yeah. when we would sit when we sit at home and we talk about things. Sometimes we'd say, "Like, is there going to have to be a tragedy?" Do you know, so it wasn't because you can't predict something. You know, no. we weren't going out until because they'd, they'd have laughed at us. They'd have called us stupid or ridiculous. It's interesting, isn't it, when you hear David Collins there, who was chairman of the Grenfell Residents Association until last October, when he moved out of the tower. I would never have imagined that a tower block would actually have a residents association. I don't know why. I see no reason why it shouldn't have. But uh, they were obviously very vocal. They weren't getting what they wanted from the, the management company. In fact, they weren't getting anything at all. But the, uh, the piece in the Express today, uh, the Grenfell Action Group, again, attacked the ineptitude and incompetence of their landlord saying please to improve safety fell on deaf ears. It had predicted a major disaster, such as a fire, with major loss of life because of faulty wiring and terrifying power surges, which they were getting overnight. A spokesman said, we predicted that a catastrophe like this was inevitable. Prior to yesterday's blaze, the group had said, only an incident that results in serious loss of life will allow the external scrutiny to occur that will shine a light on the practices that characterise their management. At the annual general meeting... The residents group accused the landlord, which is Kensington and Chelsea Tenant Management Organisation, KCTMO, of inept and highly dangerous management. They also pointed to a fire at nearby Adair Tower, also run by KCTMO, in 2015. Yesterday, KCTMO said the events of last night and earlier this morning are a tragedy. We wish to repeat our sincere and heartfelt condolences to all those who've been affected. Its statement added it was doing everything it can to assist the residents and those affected. Too early to speculate, they say, on what caused the fire and contributed to its spread. Um, They are aware the concerns have been raised historically by residents. Why didn't you take any notice of them? You know, they sort of, they just obviously think that people are stupid, we don't know anything, and they just sort of dismiss you, don't they? Wave of the hand and off you go. Last night, KCTMO chairwoman Faye Edwards said advice for tenants to stay in the flats in the event of a fire had been correct. She said, I think it would be sensible because I don't know how dangerous flats might be for people coming down. Well, you found out now, haven't you? Now you know, that dangerous, that dangerous. She dismissed concerns about any negligence, which could have made the building more prone, uh, Miss Edwards was awarded a British Empire Medal in 2016 for services to the community. Well, there you go. A spokesman for Kensington and Chelsea Council said it still owns the properties 
and retains responsibility for strategic housing policy, but the management was separate. So there you go. It's the buck passing, isn't it? It's a case of, you know, nothing to do with us. We own the properties, but, you know, the management deal is completely separate. It's going to come out, isn't it? You know, is it going to be, as uh, reported in some of the papers today, somebody's fridge exploded? Would that really be enough to start a fire that spread that quickly? Would that be possible? All that will come out in the inquiry, which undoubtedly will take place. Loads of strangers in the paper days. Great, great acts of kindness, you know, and people from all branches of the community. All branches, you know, as the appeal is launched, offering food and shelter, taking people in and offering clothes and shoes. Because they've got nothing. They think that there could be hundreds of people missing. That's what they think. After the news, we'll hopefully be crossing to North Kensington and speaking to LBC's reporter, Rachel Venables, so she can tell us what's going on around Grenfell Tower this morning. Are there still fires burning? We'll find out. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 26 minutes, 27 minutes to 6 o'clock this uh, Thursday morning. Don't forget, Nick Ferrari is going to be with you at 6 o'clock this morning. It's an extended uh, breakfast show with the flames continuing to burn inside Grenfell Tower. Nick will be reflecting on one of the worst fires that London's seen since the Blitz. And certainly they're expecting the uh, the list of uh, people to go higher. Twelve people are reported to have died in the blaze, they think it could be an awful lot more. They're working their way slowly through the building, and it is slowly at the moment, because this thing could collapse at any time. I think it's highly dangerous. And with fires still burning, what they're going to find, God alone knows. Meanwhile, the former housing minister, who's now chief of staff for Theresa May, is under pressure to answer questions over a fire regulation report that was promised but never published. Do Gavin Barwell and the government need to take some responsibility for this atrocious event? All of that and more with Nick Ferrari at uh, six o'clock this morning here on LBC. Some more of your uh, texts and emails. Uh, Mark says, there was a man who caught a baby dropped from a window. Another hero. Hope these people and the firefighters are awarded and rewarded. Well, they get uh, lots of plaudits from people in the newspaper saying they're the heroes. They're the people who've actually done as, you know, as much as they could over and above. Can't be much fun, can it? But that's what they do. That's what they do. They have to go into these buildings. They have to uh, make sure that it's safe for them to go in there. I mean, I wouldn't want to be walking around in this building anytime soon. Thank you very much indeed. I think there are still uh, fires that are burning inside. Uh, Piers in Halifax says, I live in a tower block, first built in the 70s. And about two years ago, we had a refurb of the block where we had the same style foam pads put on the outside, then pebble dashed. And on the lower part, fake brick panels stuck onto the wall. These... Uh, were made from wood that was weatherproofed. On the inside, we did have new fire front doors put on and new interlock doors. Seeing the fire yesterday was very upsetting and scary, but hands up to the fire service, who were amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they've, they've got to... I'll tell you what the, the bad thing was. They've got to bring out, for the fire brigade very shortly, uh, some sort of uh, water unit that can go higher than the one that they had yesterday. Even on a, on a crane, it didn't even reach halfway up this block of flats. Didn't, didn't, not even halfway up. What they need to do is, I mean, I wouldn't want to stand on the edge of edge. They must be able to get automatic cranes that can go as high as this or come up with some sort of system that's within a block of flats that can flood the place or do something so that water can cascade down the building and put fires out. I mean, there must be, there must be, mustn't there? It can't be that complicated. Surely, have you, I mean, I thought most of these flats had water tanks on the roof and everything else. And you just make sure that, you know, in the event of a fire, you can you know, have water coming down, like, almost like a sprinkler system, but on the outside of the building, because that's where it was coming from. It was coming from the outside. 
not very good at all. And uh, the fact is, the more experienced and qualified individuals are squeezed out of the employment because, you know, properly qualified people, putting to shame the bigger organisations, have got no knowledge, but they manage to run housing, hospitals and other places. Yes, it's ironic, isn't it, really? All the people who were helping yesterday, there's cuts in all the services, isn't it? Cuts in all the services. And then Theresa May, you know, politely tells us that, you know, there will be an investigation, as opposed to there won't be an investigation. What we don't want is a whitewash. That's what we don't want. We don't want a whitewash of this. People want to know exactly how this fire started, how it spread, what it was to do with. Was it the cladding on the outside? Was it something completely different? We don't know, but we need to find out. And the people certainly who don't have a home anymore deserve to be told. Otherwise, it's a big kick in the teeth for them, isn't it? Everybody else is doing something, but, uh, you know, I'm expecting a lot more from, from sort of government and I'm expecting a lot more from Westminster and Chelsea. Thank you very much indeed. And Kensington and Chelsea, what did I say? Westminster, I'm obsessed with Chelsea and Westminster at the moment, but uh, I'm expecting more from them. And also, what's the, you know, why has nobody come forward and said all these people would be rehoused? We've got some spare flats and you're looking for a lot of spare property. And the one thing we don't have in London is spare property. Ridiculous. But uh, Amber says, currently listen to people living in tower blocks. They should have risk assessments frequently and fire drills. I bet none of these people have had a fire drill. Even the Residents Association in this block, they didn't get anything back from anybody at all. They expressed their concerns months ago, months and months ago. They said, you know, I mean, the windows were popping out. You look at this building now, how this thing is standing. It looks like it's war-torn. As I say, you know, describing it as looking a bit like the Blitz, I think would be a very accurate description. Very accurate. Uh, Steve, I was glued to LBC's coverage of the fire and impressed by the information about building standards of fire safety that came in. One thing I've been wondering, is there anywhere somebody moving into a block of flats can go to? No. (laughs) No, unfortunately. What you have to do is you have to go in and talk to residents and say, listen, do they have fire drills? You know, in the light of this, they're going to have to re-evaluate everything. They're going to have to look at everything and uh, and try and come up with some answers. Let's cross to LBC's reporter, Rachel Venables, who's outside one of the local uh, refuge centres. Rachel, good morning. Good morning. Well, the biggest sign, really, of what happened last night are the mounds of plastic bags that have obviously been brought in over the last 24 hours or so, left on the side of the corner, on the you know, side streets, uh, full of clothes, full of bottles of water, uh, non-perishable goods, things like that, all donated to the people who very sadly will have spent the night sleeping maybe on floors in leisure centres or with friends and family after this fire, which we know broke out too. Two nights ago. Um, I can see to the top of the tower from where I'm standing now, still just this sad blackened mess. As far as I can tell, no sign yet of flames, but I can't see to the bottom of it. And I know that fire crews were seen working throughout the night, a very busy time for them as well. Isn't it amazing that, you know, in all these tragedies that we've had, and we've had our fair share over the last couple of uh, couple of months, I think, that the public rally round, they donate the clothes. I've seen this mound of clothes and, you know, people giving food. Everybody from across the community. I mean, it's, it's quite heartening, isn't it? It is, I think, and it really has, has gone some way towards helping the number of people I saw yesterday crying on the street, hugging, you know, complete strangers. I spoke to um, a gentleman just this morning who I spotted, uh, he's camped outside Shepherd's Bush with several gazebos worth of things that he was donating. Um, and he sort of said when they started, they, you know, had one gazebo and, and some water that mm. they'd brought. And then I think within hours, they were just inundated with things people were bringing for him so that he could then give to anyone who was caught up in this. And I think it, it does go so 
something to show, I think, how, how tight this community is and how much they've been affected by it. Mm. Because, of course, even if the people in this area didn't have to run from their beds at one in the morning, they still were outside on the street, horrified by what they saw. They all have friends or family or, or neighbours who, who saw someone shouting for help from that tower. They all know someone maybe who's got someone missing or, you know, God forbid, they know someone themselves who've been caught up in all of this. So they've all rallied together. This is their way of sort of coping and this is their way of saying, you know what, this won't defeat us. And, and it is really heartening to see, um, it has, I have to say. So other people going into the building, the uh, fire crews have said that they don't expect to find anybody else alive now. What presumably they're going to do is try and hopefully account for people who have gone on a missing list. Yes, and I think that will be a huge painstaking forensic task. I mean, 120 flats, as we know now, completely destroyed. As far as I can see, no movement this morning. But again, from my vantage point, because of the huge cordon, I can't see to the bottom half of the tower itself. So there may well be quite a bit of uh, movement there. I know that overnight, fire crews were spotted on this sort of aerial ladder, this crane sort of poking their noses in through some of the windows, you know, shining a light through. It looks as though there's a little bit of steam coming up the top of it. I think they may still be shooting down water, still damping down this this slightly smouldering building. But as for the search itself, that's going to be an absolutely huge job. We won't get final numbers on how many people were caught up in this, mm. I don't think, for, for a couple of days. Uh, what's, what's the next uh, modus operandi? Where do they go from here? Presumably they're, they're going to try and make sure the building doesn't collapse. Well, I think as far as they're aware, they brought in a structural engineer yesterday and the fire crews have said that they're comfortable, they're confident the building won't collapse. And we know that actually quite soon, I think it was around sort of 10, 11 o'clock yesterday, the fire, fire crews were making their way up at least to the sort of 19th, 20th floor, which shocked certainly myself and everyone mm. I spoke to in this area because a lot of people had been concerned that the building would actually come down and that that was why we were being kept so far away. Obviously, this is just for safety precautions. It's so that the, the fire crews and the police officers and the paramedics could get in and out without being bothered by members of the public. Um, but no, I, th I think, um, I think the, the, the next, obviously, mode is to work out, A, how many people were caught up in this, and B, what actually caused this fire. Mm. And then, of course, the decision will have to be made. Although, again, speaking from a completely non-expertise non point of view, I don't see how this building can, can be left standing. It's, it's going to have to be pulled down. And they're also going to have to accommodate all the people who are now with no homes. Yes, yes. I mean, as we've, I've already said, we know that 120 uh, flats were in that building. I've also been speaking to a woman who uh, lives in a home that's just below it, uh, and I believe her home was also destroyed. So it's not just the people who lived in the tower itself. Because of the flying debris, because of the smoke, the water damage, there are more homes which have been destroyed. When I spoke to her late last night, she still had no idea where she was going to be sleeping, where her, her husband, her children would spend the night. Um, at the refuge centre, which is just behind me, the Portobello Club. That's been the real focus of the community effort overnight. There are signs up saying, uh, you know, if you need a bed, go to this place. This leisure centre has, say, 44 beds, that sort of thing. Oh. Um, and I know that as well, some of the people, the, the churches and everything yesterday were getting ready to take people in if they needed it. Obviously, again, the community spirit of this area is such that I think most people were offered a place to stay, a sofa, a spare bedroom, whether that was with friends or family or further afield. But it may well be that they wanted to stay in this area. They wanted to stay in the sports centres, the leisure centres, just because it, it, they can still feel connected to everything that's been going on. 
Well, thank God for the public, because yet again, you know, the public rally round, they donate. You know, we're very good at doing things like this, and I'm, I'm delighted that people have given clothes. I've heard from people this morning who've given clothes and toys and stuff like that, because there's a lot of children involved in this as well. And then we just have to go through due process. Presumably, they'll be trying to find more people inside there. And then it comes down to, how did the fire start? And there's all sorts of theories in the papers today. It could either be a faulty piece of electrical equipment, or it could be gas pipes. It could be anything, couldn't it? It really absolutely i mean there were many rumors floating around yesterday here people saying the same thing over and over again that it seemed to have started with an electrical surge in an appliance but you know how quickly these sort of things spread and people in moments of panic are so desperate for answers that if they hear this is what caused it this is why they'll spread that and of course we have to bear in mind as we listen to reports and i have to bear that in mind as well here on the ground that is you know even if, if three or four people say to me this is what I, I heard happened it doesn't necessarily mean that it actually did so it is going to be a huge job for the emergency services, for the investigators to sift through all of the evidence, both in the building and the confused messages that people told them as to where it started. You know, I heard people telling me it started on the second floor. It started mm. on the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. It seems to have started lower down. It does seem to have then spread to the outside and risen up. I think you can't deny that. But the reasons behind it are still so confused and still, of course, so such an emotional mm. topic for just so many people. I think people want want answers. Rachel, thank you for joining us. I'm very grateful. LBC's no, reporter. no problem at all. Thank you. LBC's reporter Rachel Venables is outside one of those local refuge centres. And thank you, I mean, a huge thank you from them to you if you've donated water or food or clothing or money. I know that they've had, I think, about half a million pounds uh, donated already. My God, we're good at these things. We, 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 just, we just help people. Perhaps we can get back some of that, you know, out of, out of tragedy might come back that, uh, that thing that we're good at in this country, which is this community spirit of being proud of the area and looking after it, you know, looking after the place where you are, talking to your neighbours. We had a, uh, you know, um, um, a system, uh, sorry, a situation the other day where uh, I was saying, I know my neighbours. I know who they all are. I might not have conversations with every one of them, but I, I know who the neighbours are. And then I had people, you know, texting me saying, I've got no idea, no idea who, who my neighbours are. And you think, why not? We had a, we'd heard from somebody who lived in uh, Grenfell Tower and just knocked on her neighbour's door. I wasn't even aware she knew the name of the person who was living there because flats can be very, uh, very cold, very difficult places, very difficult places. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Coming up to uh, 10 to 6, Nick Ferrari is going to be here at 6 o'clock with uh, an extended breakfast show this morning. Steve, I'm in flat, says Joyce, and have a tenants association. We've been told not to leave if there's a fire. Yes, we haven't actually said anything. We've got all the usual notices up and stuff like that. Uh, Jean says we've had a collection on our road and the neighbours getting lots of nappies and things for babies and children. Yeah, we tend to forget that there's lots of children involved here. Makes you wonder, says Scott... How they can work out the investigation team, how it started when everything is just a charred shell. Well, it, it, surprisingly, that's exactly what they do. That's exactly what they do. They can, they can find out if it was sort of something. They'll have to go through. And what they'll be looking at is they'll be looking at a machine. It could be a washing machine. It could be an oven. It could be all sorts of things. It might have been deliberately set. We don't know. It's literally they are, you are starting from basics, but they know what they're looking for. They know what they're looking for. So that's, uh, that's why. Uh, a lot of people talking about uh, the public who've really uh, got behind this and really helped out. And the answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, if there was any country in the world that could do with a, a quiet few months, it's the, the UK. Poor Theo Usherwood must be on, a, on alert 24-7. I think all our reporters are, actually. I think all of them. Yesterday, we actually got them... Uh, 
out really, really early in the morning. Three in the morning, poor souls. They, in fact, everybody got woken up very, very early. But uh, Steve, I can't help thinking, says Mike, that residences over five storeys are more trouble than they're worth. They had to do it. We were running out of space. So uh, small, small carbon footprint and uh, go high. But it's the fact that you can't get water into the... Uh, into these things because it's it just when, when you were watching them you know doing the fire hoses and everything else they weren't even halfway up the building that's how bad it is uh, john in bayswater says given that london is going like new york i.e high rise well we've been doing it long before new york surely we need to have the same firefighting equipment deployed to deal with high rise fires i want to hear about prosecutions not just lessons learned that's a very favorite expression is it yes lessons have been have been learnt by this. Uh, Len says, in the 60s and 70s in Edmonton, the council built tower blocks around the town. One at the end of uh, Bounces Road, they tarted up with cladding. I'm wondering if the council had tips about fire problems uh, with cladding, as no others have been uh, tarted up like that. And three or four blocks have been demolished. I think they've suddenly realised after this that they're not going to, uh, they're not going to risk it. Uh, whether or not people take out... If this turns out to be a fault within the building... You know, and something that could have been sorted out, then I'm sure that there will be prosecutions and heads will definitely roll. Uh, there is housing for the rich in London. The government doesn't look after the poorer communities. Well, they didn't in this case, but they did spend 10 million trying to tart it up whether or not it was uh, it was that that led to this uh, this dreadful tragedy. We don't know. Uh, it's ridiculous in this world. We can build driverless cars. We can't make firefighting equipment to tackle fires that high up. Yes, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Earlier this morning. Uh, Darren Adam took a rather distressing call from Ahmed, who hasn't heard from one of his relatives, who lives in Grenfell Tower, since around the time the fire broke out. I just uh, want to let you know that uh, one of uh, my uh, relatives is missing is my cousin. Uh, he lives uh, in uh, Grenfell Tower. Uh, uh, what's, it, what's his name, Ahmed? Sorry? What is, what is your, your relative's name? His name is Aldestalam. And which which floor does he live on? On the eighth floor. When did you last hear from him? Well, and, uh, you know, I didn't see him. You know, as, uh, we speak together. You know, he mm. was uh, he was in the mosque. Uh, what I understand uh, from the family, he was in the mosque until half past twelve last night in the morning. So, so just so, just over twenty four hours ago, he was in he was in the local mosque. That's right. right. And he left the he left the, he left the mosque about twelve thirty. He went home, and then about say say about five to one or ten to one, he found his daughter. He told her that he can smell you know the fire in the building. Yeah. So they they went there because she lives you know near him, but uh, you know near the station, Latimer uh, Road. So he so, was he was uh, in the building when the fire started. He was in the building when the when the fire started. Yeah. And and sorry, Ahmed. Just just remind us who who did he who did he last speak to that you know of? Was it your your sister? Did you say? He's, no, his uh, his daughter. His daughter. His daughter. So he yeah, spoke to his daughter, daughter after the fire had started, and and uh, you've not been able sorry. to contact him since. No, they were talking to him. Uh, they were talking to him. He he told them that the, the, you know he uh, you know the, he cannot he cannot uh, breathe properly because of the smoke, and. Uh, they are, they are telling they are telling them telling them to stay at to stay in, in, indoors and close the door. So everybody was you know closing the door and that's how you know. So they they couldn't speak to him anymore. And uh, they went they went there. The, the police and the fire brigade won't let them inside because the fire was was so bad that time. 
When when was the last call uh, from him? What sort of time? When was the last call, say, about, you know, uh, between between quarter past one and uh, half 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 past one. Then then the then the, that was the last the last call. And he was on the eighth floor. Um, we we, we do know that a lot of survivors were taken to a variety of different hospitals. Have you been able, or have you tried to to contact? I tried, a... Yeah, we yeah I tried every hospital. We went to every hospital. We went all the halls. We went to the mosque. You know, in that the grove is is not there. Is not there. Have Have you been given a central number to call or or an organisation no, to call? No. When I went to Saint Mary's Hospital, I spoke to an officer. Which, uh, he took the details and he uh, took my details on telephone number, and uh, that said he, he said if, if there is any news he will contact me. Ahmed, our thoughts are with you. Our hopes are with you, of course. Um, I just want—I just want to give you a couple of phone numbers here, and indeed for, for anyone who's who's in your position, Ahmed, who 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 wants to find out, uh, who needs to find out about uh, potential casualties, loved ones who may have been caught up in this. Uh, I don't know if, have you got a pen there, Ahmed? I can give you these two numbers if you want to. Uh, no one is. Yeah, go on. Okay. Um, this is from the Met, the Met Police. The first number is yeah. the Casualty Bureau, and that's mm-hmm. 0800. 0800. 096. 096. 1233. 1233. And there's another number which I'll give you in case that one is busy. It's 020. Oh. oh. Seven one five eight. Seven one five eight. O one nine seven. O one nine seven. Okay, lovely. And your cousin's uh, your cousin's name again, Ahmed, just in case anyone has has come across him. And uh, Mr. Sabah, C S sorry S A B A R. Sabah. That is the the surname. The first name is of this month. Lovely. Ahmed there, whose cousin lived in uh, Grenfell Town, hasn't been seen since around the uh, time the fire broke out, because I think there's going to be quite a lot of people who are missing. They might be away on holiday. They might, you know, they might not find all these people. That's why they've said they think the, the toll will actually rise from the 12 it is at the moment. The front pages of the papers, I don't need to tell you this morning. Dozens feared dead. Nobody survived on the top three floors because it spread. So I think they'll, they'll be asking that big question when eventually they get round to it. Why did it spread so quickly? What was what was helping it? Apart from there was a, a generous wind that evening, and uh, and there was the gap behind this cladding, which appears to have acted as a as a conduit to uh, to draw the flames up. So the express high rise horror. The sun. They were told it was safe. Dozens dead in tower death trap. I think it will be dozens. The Daily Mail. How the hell could it happen? And the answer is there's probably a ticking time bomb out there of a lot of other high-rise blocks. 15 minutes, the Daily Star says. Tots thrown from windows. Disaster waiting to happen. They've got pictures of the, the missing. They've said it's a death trap, as indeed have the Mirror. They've also called it a, a death trap as well. Uh, children thrown out of the windows. Residents warned of the catastrophe. Four years ago, four years ago, front page of The, uh, the Guardian, uh, the warnings were ignored. Families now... In a desperate search for loved ones, the Prime Minister promises an investigation into the Blaze disaster, which, of course, is, is what you would expect. Uh, the Daily Telegraph, disaster waiting to happen, dozens feared dead. Warnings were ignored. Safety warnings were ignored. The uh, Times this morning, same picture on the front. It's, it's absolutely harrowing. It really is. Residents had warned that the building 
was a fire trap, and nobody appeared to take any notice of them at all in the eye. The tragic, horrific, avoidable. That's it for this morning. Thank you very much indeed for your uh, company. There's no free podcast uh, for today. We might do one uh, for you tomorrow. You can listen to uh, LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. If you go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, you can download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet and never miss a moment. Leading Britain's conversation at 10 o'clock this morning, it's James O'Brien, but right now continuing our coverage of that uh, terrible fire in West London yesterday. It's another extended edition of Nick Ferrari at Breakfast. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.